Boy, Wade, I'll tell you what, it sure is good to be here at Holy Ghost Headquarters of Central Arkansas in the choir room of the historic Barrel Baptist Church. It has been a long time since we have recorded a podcast. And you hadn't got one bit better looking during that time. (laughs) It has been so crazy busy for me. You know, our our listeners do not know that I have uh, enrolled in seminary, Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. And uh, wow, it is time-consuming, to say the least. Schooling is hard, isn't it? It is. A lot of reading and a lot of writing. Yeah. And uh, so we have, our, our last episode was with Joe Cassida, and uh, that's been and since the middle of October, so yeah. it's, it's been a while. Deer season happened as well. Yes. Have you killed any deer? What kind of question is that? You know I can't answer that. The game wardens listen. <laughs> right. <laughs> have you killed your limit, over your limit? <laughs> I, I, I have fed the family for a foreseeable future, and uh, I've been busy too, though, because of the, the nature of my new ministry, traveling around, raising support. I've been preaching somewhere different every Sunday and uh, in and out of state, and uh, I'm still kind of helping Lee Creek with the day-to-day operations until they find a pastor. also serve on their search committee, so I'm Mm -hmm. involved in finding the next pastor for Lee Creek, and then I'm the interim pastor at West Park Baptist Church in Ozark when I'm not out of town and every Wednesday and... I've been pretty busy myself, even though I'm not getting smarter, I'm still staying busy. Well, I'm thankful that the Lord's called you into this ministry. Uh, I know for the people at Lee Creek Baptist Church, they were heartbroken to to lose you as their pastor. But, you know, I know that they're supportive for what you're doing. And just briefly uh, give us a little detail about what the Lord's called you to do. I help struggling churches. What I always say is I help the... uh, the churchless pastor and the pastorless church. And so um, I go to churches that uh, maybe need some interim or need some help uh, locating their next pastor. A lot of times I'll work with churches that have been through, uh, maybe they've been through a traumatic event, or maybe they just don't have the the mindset to keep a pastor. You know, some churches just seems like every year to two years they get a new preacher, and that's just not healthy. And so my, my number one goal and objective is to help a church find a long-term sustainable pastor. And um, so uh, that's that's what I do. And, of course, I also encourage pastors and help pastors find churches. So uh, I work with some young preachers and some old retired preachers, and uh, uh, and the Lord just, I guess, seems to use me in this, in this mm-hmm. setting. I never thought I would... I thought I would either be out of my mind or dead when I left Lee Creek. You know, I planned on spending the rest of my life in ministry there, but uh, it became very apparent that this is what I'll be doing, and so far the Lord has really blessed it. Well, that is great. Speaking about ministry, have you heard about the controversy with the Southern Baptist Convention's former president, James Merritt? Have you heard about... If you're on social media and you have Christian friends or Southern Baptist friends, you've probably heard about the guy who's endorsing his homosexual son's yes. sermons and calls him a great gospel preacher. And right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have the quote here from James Merritt, former Southern Baptist Convention president, and at the time that he said this, a current faculty member at the Southeast Baptist Theological Seminary. But th- he tweeted this, his son, Jonathan is a pastor at Good Shepherd Church in New York. And James said this about his son. He said, I encourage you to listen to his message on Mark chapter 13. It is both a brilliant and faithful message to the gospel. 
that created a lot of controversy. Why do you think it created a lot of controversy? I mean, this is his son, right? But why, why was it such a controversial tweet? Well, he's an open homosexual, correct? Yes. And so what you would be saying is we can have a man who lives a lifestyle that is not in keeping with the faith he professes, and God can use him as a powerful preacher of the gospel mm-hmm. in spite of a lifestyle that is anti-God, anti-order. I mean, God created us male and female, and homosexuality is clearly a sin. It's not even close. And and for you to openly endorse this, it's just... And, and the thing about it was, he doubled down on it because people automatically started going, whoa, 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 that, you know, what are we talking about here? Mm-hmm. And he didn't back up. He continued to, to pursue this. And let's not overlook the fact he was over the, uh, what I don't know what they call it, the Rules Committee right? at the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville. I mean, he was the chairman of the group that said, we can't vote on CRT. Yes. We can't have a uh, ruling on this or that and he called everybody out there close-minded and narrow-minded and uh, he basically just used his position as a bully pulpit and now he turns around and he's okay with homosexual preaching yes yeah the sad thing that disturbed me was that no one in current SBC leadership really spoke out against what he said so with their silence they were in essence supporting what he said that that his son who is an open homosexual is preaching a faithful message to the gospel that 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 is a huge problem huge problem yeah the gospel requires repentance and for you to live a life of open unrepentance Mm -hmm. and a lifestyle of rebellion to the created order of god yes you cannot be a faithful preacher at the same time it's 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 like you oil and water you can't be both Right, right. And Danny Aiken, again, never spoke out against. He did tweet about how that uh, uh, James Merritt resigned. He willingly resigned on his own, his own decision. He wasn't asked to leave. He was not asked to leave, and which is very troubling. You know, that I know that they were probably very good friends, but uh, truth has got to be... Uh, has got to trump friendship for sure. Our good friend Alan Nelson wrote an open letter to Danny Aiken addressing James Merritt in this controversy and why this was a biblical issue. And he posted that open letter to Merritt, I mean to to Danny Aiken on Twitter. I saw it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. He was calling Danny Aiken to do what he should do as the head of a seminary with a professor that's made this kind of blunder and it never got any traction, not just right. with Danny Aiken, with anybody in the convention. And the silence of leadership in the convention on this issue is just, it's more than troubling. It's telling yes. as to what where the convention is. And um, I don't want to be the I told you so, but ever since we've, your church, our, the church that I pastored, ever since we've left the convention, I've never once went, Boy, I wish we would have stayed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right, Boy, right. I think we jumped out too soon. Sure. I've never had that thought. Have you, Wade? No, I have not. And after seeing things like this, it's just like confirmation of what we did 10, 12 years ago was the correct move for us. And, you know, if if folks do not leave the convention over things like this, what is it going to be that's going to be that final straw that you finally pull yourself out, pull your church out, 
I, I don't know what that is. I just kind of picture a guy drawing a line in the sand and saying, don't cross this line. And they step across the line yes. and he draws another one. Don't cross this line. <laughs> yeah. And we're like 20 yards from where we've started. That's right. And the conventions walked across every line that anyone has laid down. Yes. And, but they'll look at this as a form of a victory that James Merritt resigned uh, from his position at Southeast the- Theological Seminary. But it's not a victory. No. A victory would have been an open rebuke from the current president of the SBC and the current president of the seminary of which he was teaching. That would have been a victory. That would have been a firm stance that we're not going to take this kind of mess, even from a former Southern Baptist Convention president, but that never happened. Yeah. And and I don't think it's going to happen. And he just let's just I know we've we've hashed this out in the past, but let's reiterate it while we're close. If you can't get the proper president in Nashville with two years to plan, you're not going to get a better president in Anaheim, California. Right. I mean, right. just the logistics aren't there. Um, the number of pastors that I know personally that were Southern Baptists that have physically left the convention i mean this is all taking place right now because we're at the end of the year Mm -hmm. churches in october november and december are approving their budgets for 2022 and i'm hearing from several preachers when i say several i mean i'm a nobody but i know of five or six preachers that are doing one of two things they're either dropping all giving to the convention or they're completely formally pulling out of the convention and uh, some of the most prominent names um john o sims at shelbyville mills they voted to formally pull out of the convention wow that's not just one or two preachers i know of five or six personally that have said it's official we're out yeah and that's just the ones that I know. If you look across the board, those are all preachers that will not be voting conservative in next year's convention. Sure. So as troubling as this is, you've got to go out and replace the ones that have left, and you've got to convince them to get to Anaheim. Then you've got to get a candidate. Mm-hmm. And, man, you and I agree, Mike Stone's the best candidate we've seen in years. Yes. You've. I don't think you could convince Mike Stone to run again. No, no. And I don't think you're going to – I mean, I know there's other good men out there, but show me one that's willing to, to engage in this race and open himself up to the treatment that Mike received mm-hmm. running for president. Yeah, it's, it's sadly, it's almost as bad as a, uh, a political ca- candidate running for office and, and going through all the things that come up through, through that. A lot of, uh, you know, the Democrats play dirty – and that's exactly how the more liberal Southern Baptist Convention messengers play. The majority against. of Southern Baptists. Yes, yes. You have to. We used to say, you know, it's fifty-fifty. It, yeah. It's not. That's right. Well, that's something that really has made a lot of news lately in, in the uh, in the church world. To follow that, crazy as it sounds, the government is wanting to allow women to be eligible for a military draft. Is that not crazy or what? That's absolutely nuts. It is nuts. The House Armed Services Committee voted to expand registration for the selective service system, commonly known as the draft, to include women, a move that brings the the requirement one step closer to becoming law. As part of the debate on the fiscal 2022 defense policy bill, committee members voted in favor to require all Americans ages 18 to 24 to register for the draft. This amendment clarifies women make up over 50% of the population, and not including them is not only a disservice to these women, 
but to our nation as a whole. It ensures that the Selective Service System is able to provide the DOD with personnel and the skills it needs, including cyber, uh, science and technology, and so forth. But, wow, can you imagine? Your, your daughter is how old? 23. 23. So if this goes and this passes, uh, your daughter could be eligible for the draft. Sure. Should we ever need it. Yeah. Now, you're ex-military. Mm-hmm. You, you spent years in the uh, Air Force. What are your thoughts about, number one, women in the military? Those who voluntarily choose to enter into the military. But what's your thoughts also for really the involuntary uh, calling of women to the military? I'm not against a woman's right to be in the military if she wants to be. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, ideally, the military should be made up of men. And I think Old Testament biblical principle, that's what it was. They never sent their women off into battle. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do see roles in the modern uh, military where women could serve very well. I served in the Air Force in the security police section or security forces section. So we were dealing with unruly people. We were basically military police officers and we were responsible for perimeter defense of an air base. So we had to dig foxholes and, you know, shoot mortars. We shot law rockets. We shot all sorts of things that most people in the Air Force didn't. Not every woman can take down a six foot five man and put him in handcuffs. Right. I'm not saying no woman can. It's just not for every woman, Wade. Mm-hmm. For you to draft somebody is to take a a woman and say it's mandatory that you join the military for war, not in a time of peace, not to be a nurse, not, not to be a um, someone who works in a computer system. I mean, in the Air Force, there were a lot of women who were responsible for wiring up rockets on on the wings of jets Mm. i would tell you just as plain as day you can find a thousand women that are better with electronics than harold smith okay yeah but there are certain aspects of the military that i can tell you because i served with women they are not as good at digging foxholes by and large sure they are not as good at shooting heavy artillery weapons because their bodies are not genetically built to handle the recoil of an M203 grenade launcher, let's say. Right, right. Well, you sound like a male chauvinist to me. Well, I've been called worse <laughs> by better. <laughs> That's what they would say, for sure. So, you know, you, you say a person who volunteers, a woman who volunteers for the military in certain capacities is okay. Well, here's what will happen. When you join the military, they test you to see where you can go. Mm-hmm. And when you're drafting people, the, the draft is to increase the overall body of the military because we're at a time of war. Right. And so when you're drafting equal parts men and women, here's what you're doing. You're drafting a whole slice of the population who are not qualified for clear parts mm-hmm. of it. Now, go back to World War II. The men were drafted, and then along came Rosie the Riveter, if you'll remember. Females went to work in factories yes. doing the men's job, building planes and tanks and bombs, and but they were doing that, and they were they were not being forced to do that by, by military order or government edict. They were doing that because they were, wanted to help the war. They needed a job, and this was a way to earn money. But it was still voluntary on their part. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So let's take the involuntary draft. Um, just ethically asking a woman 
We're not asking. You're pretty much telling them to enter into a time of war, regardless of where they end up doing in that war. Um, what, what's your thoughts about women in the draft being told, more or less, that they have to enter into I, the military? I, I never thought the day would come when I would say they ought to be like Bill Clinton. They ought to burn their draft cards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would support a woman's refusal to be drafted into the military, and I would condemn William Jefferson Clinton for being an able-bodied American man Mm -hmm. who refused to go to war. Right, right. And I hated draft dodgers. I wasn't alive during the Vietnam War. My dad served during the Vietnam War in the military. Mm -hmm. But when I know of people who fled to Canada— uh, I had a uh, uncle who was drafted, and he rubbed himself down with poison ivy in basic training so that he would get sent to the hospital. And he kept harming himself so that he wouldn't complete his training to, to ultimately go and serve in the military. Yeah, Those guys are cowards. Mm-hmm. Those guys ought to be condemned. Um, I mean, America let them come back, and that's okay. The war is over. But I would wholly support women doing that because they have no business in this conflict not this way if they want to be go and enroll and test out and go where you're needed and serve but for a government just to say okay your 18 year old daughter's coming with us and we're going to send her to a foreign country here's the thing about it when you are working in a combat situation i don't want to get gross here but when you have a male-female force, you have to segregate them mm-hmm. some way. We don't go to the bathroom the same way. Right, right. It, we have different things that occur in our body each month mm-hmm. that have to be dealt with. Yes. That really hinders your ability and can put the entire team in jeopardy because you're trying to accommodate the gender of one specific person or a segment of your 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 unit. When lives are on the line, when bullets are flying— you really want a, a group of men who can function as one unit. Yeah. And you just run into a lot of, whether whether the, the new society wants to admit it or not, genders are different. Mm-hmm. There is a difference. Absolutely. And anything that would hinder a group of people's ability to achieve their objective, I'm against it. Yes. And a draft would do that if you're drafting women. Yeah, the, I think the difficult thing is, is that back in 2015 under the Obama administration, uh, women were granted the right to fight on the front lines, to fight in combat, whereas before then they were not allowed to. So now uh, you could have a number of women who are fighting hand-to-hand combat or, you know, in, in the front lines in the heat of the battle. Yeah. And that's not the best scenario whatsoever because, I, as you alluded to, in, in the Old Testament, God, speaking about the Babylonians, said that, hey, I will cause them to fight as women. Yeah. That's a negative thing. Yeah. Uh, that's an easy victory if the Lord causes them to fight like a girl. Listen, I don't want to get into hand-to-hand combat with Ronda Rousey, okay? Yeah, right, me either. There are women out there that can easily <laughs> whip me, and I'll admit it, but most women— cannot whip most men right and so while there are i I know there are women that could go and do hand-to-hand combat and kill a giant russian with their bare hands but most women cannot and if you're drafting women you're getting a very small group that have the skill set to overcome the average man Mm -hmm. and you're getting a large segment that do not have just the sheer strength, size, stature. Here's the thing. There are certain packages you have to carry. 
there are certain uh, the there's no lighter weapon for a woman mm-hmm. we have a uh in golf and i'm no golfer but i know there's women's tees and men's tees yeah okay there's not women's weapons and men's weapons an m60 machine gun weighs the same whether you're a woman carrying it whether you're a man carrying it the battle load for that 240 rounds of belt fed ammunition Mm -hmm. if you've got to carry say 10 of these 240 rounds of belt fed ammunition if you weigh 108 pounds or you weigh 208 pounds your ability to carry that weight of ammo i mean they just physically don't have the structure to do it right you know, you can't help but think, but what about what do the Russians think about this move in China? You know, already we have a weaker military than what we had just a few years ago. We have now a woke military. Um, they have got to be looking at this and thinking, oh, my, they're making it easy for us. Yeah. And um, as a matter of fact, uh, I just saw today that the U.S. intelligence warns that Russia is planning an offensive attack against Ukraine as soon as early next year, involving an estimated 175,000 troops. And the U.S. response to that is that they warned Russia that if you do, then you will pay. In other words, we're going to aid Ukraine. Uh, A war is coming if that happens. So, Wait a minute. Doesn't Joe Biden's son have oil interest in the Ukraine? He does. Then this is probably true. They yeah. we probably will get involved. Yes. Yeah. So you, you think about that. Um, the potential is there. Um, I feel like that within four years, we are going to be in a war of some kind. And China and Russia together could join up. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot of what ifs, but that is on the table. But speaking about the women in uh, in the draft, you know, what does a feminist think about this? Now they're all the time calling for equality. Yeah. So this puts them in a little dilemma here. Uh, this one feminist said, "Women who volunteer to join the armed forces should absolutely have the right to volunteer for combat, military, occupational specialists." If a woman has chosen this path and can meet the standards, why would we deny her the right to fight for her country? There is no reason that we should take this choice from her. She says, but I do draw the line at the draft, selective service registration for the possible draft. And I draw the line not for the reason tradition would give us that women are weak or that we are delicate. No, I do not suppose selective service registration for women because of their delicacy. I oppose it because a sex class analysis would reveal that women already sacrifice more for their country than men do. And women should not be asked to bear even more. Wasn't there a country song called War is Hell on the Home Front too? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's an old one, man. That's old. (laughs) We're not that old. Right. But we are students of history yes musical history too right but you know that that puts the feminists in in a awkward position because uh obviously she cannot say that this is wrong uh for standards of uh of equality but she's saying that well the women have already done so much for the military or for our our nation we should not bear any more which is kind of a crazy and one of the things that People are going to push back on me and and I say women are delicate because I served with women and they just physically could not do 
what we were doing. Now, I applauded those women for trying, mm-hmm. but I carried their ammo. I carried yeah. their pack. And I shouldn't have to carry somebody else's pack just because they're not able. Right. But you do that because it's it's not every man for himself. It's all of us are a team. We all want to go in. We all want to come out. Mm-hmm. But I say that to say some of the pushback we're going to get is, well, look, we're not leading troops into combat anymore. Our, our weapons are now airplanes and missiles and space. And so it's not a, a the odds of a hand-to-hand combat are, are low. Mm-hmm. And I disagree. You may, get, you may get a victory by shooting rockets into a, you know, bombing uh, certain things. But somebody has to go in and occupy the territory if you're going to save or maintain what you won. Right. You know, you'll remember back Bill Clinton was prone to just shoot rockets off. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody did something, we just sent rockets off. Yeah. And a lot of the combat that we're seeing today is somebody will just launch a rocket attack for retaliation over the previous rocket attack. Yeah. That's not gaining ground. That's just posturing. Mm-hmm. When we have an actual war, like World War II was, there were bombers that bombed ahead. There was close air support. There were artillery fires. But you still had to send troops in to push them out of the town and occupy the town. And so when we get into a real combat scenario, you still have to have a number of troops. And the other thing that I see the real problem, I see pushback from the left going, well, it's just, it's Star Wars. You know, we're winning by video games. But I see the real problem. Look at the average 18-year-old kid today. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, right. Is he ready to pick up a rifle and travel halfway around the world Mm-mm. and kill a man that's trying to kill him? Right. That was hard to pull off in 1969 in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And you wait until the draft rolls around and you look at the crowd you're going to pull in if we were to enact a draft today. And the real problem is not that we're considering women in the draft. The real problem is we don't have enough men that are men to pull it off. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You're right. I have talked to a, a higher official in the Air Force just recently. And he was over in, I believe it was Iraq, when they got some type of a, a missile uh, that was launched against them. And it came close to where they were staying there at the base. And when it hit, a lot of those young men who were in the service, obviously, started crying and saying, I didn't sign up for this. This is not mm-hmm. what I signed up for. I just got in the military so I could get my college paid college for. paid for, yeah. And he's like, oh my goodness, this is our this is our future right here. So yeah, just looking at the men that we have even now, especially the very young ones, and not all of them, and I'm not, no, not categorizing them. There's still men. good men out there, but here's the other problem. The good, solid men that you had in the military, you're running them off mm-hmm. by all of these woke policies, forcing yes. them to get the vax, right. forcing them to do all these things. I mean, I got more shots in the military than I can count. That's why I have, I still have my shot records in the safe, in case something ever happens, I can say, no, I've already had 418 shots. Mm-hmm. But when you're making policy based on politics, and the politics is to include those who are traditionally not military service, you're running off the good guys. Yes. You're having more and more people saying, look, I'm not going till 20. I'm getting out at 14. 
And so you're losing patriot, true people who want to fight and serve their country, and you're replacing them with people who want their college paid for. That's right. And then when the draft kicks in, you're getting people who want nothing to do with the military, and then you throw in women to the mix. It's almost like somebody sat down one night and said, let's play a game. What can we do to make our military awful? Mm -hmm. And that's what we've done for about the last – well, we didn't do it under Trump, but the Obama policies, that's mm-hmm. what happened. You saw this high turnover of generals. I mean, high-ranking yes. officials couldn't take the Obama administration. Right. And then who was the lady that they made rear admiral of the Navy? Or what was the lady oh, they— Oh, my, yeah. The, the, the guy— The transgender. The transgender. Yeah, I don't I, know. I lost the name. I yeah. don't. Yeah, whatever. They just made her a general in the Navy. Right. Right. I don't know as though it's she'd really ever been on any. Yeah, really I don't. <laughs> I don't know if he had ever been on anything other than a Carnival cruise ship. <laughs> right. And we've put it's him over a fleet of unbelievable naval. Unbelievable stupidity! What we're seeing, and you know, I agree with what you said. If I was a young lady and I got a uh, something in the mail saying that I was required to enter the military, I would do everything I could not to. Yeah. And you know, but that kind of. Let me ask you this. So this We have not talked about this previously, but I want to play the devil's advocate a little bit about the draft itself. I hate the devil. Go ahead. <laughs> so it's, it's wrong for women uh, to be called in to war for, for a draft. What about men and the draft? To me, here, here's, here's my thought. It is antithetical to what America stands for. If we stand for liberty and freedom, then... Why should we force a young man to fight in what are many wars are unjust wars? We shouldn't be there. And these are like politician wars, uh, such as Vietnam. You, you look back and you think, you look at history and think, why in the world did we send our young men to fight there? What was the ultimate goal? We lost 60, 65,000 U.S. soldiers. So think about that. The I can answer. The draft. Just go, keep go talking. Whenever ahead. you get done, I'll answer. <laughs> go ahead. What, what's your thoughts? Because on freedom that? isn't free. You cannot have freedom without someone paying the price for that freedom. As far as the draft goes, in the Old Testament, all Israelites over the age of twenty were expected to show up for military battle. Mm-hmm. So there is a biblical principle for a theonomy government, which is Israel in the Old mm-hmm. Testament, to do this. So a draft is not unethical or unbiblical and the bible in the new testament says that the government doesn't bear the sword in vain Mm -hmm. so the government has the right to wield the sword they also have the right to pick sword wielders Mm -hmm. so i believe that a draft is a necessary thing if we're under attack yeah now here's your complaint which i heard very clearly we sent people to vietnam which was a political war Right. Well, elections have consequences. If you elect idiots, you'll end up in those situations. And so if we as a country elect a bunch of people who are not skilled in the military, who do not value human life, who are concerned about their son's oil interest in the Ukraine, Mm -hmm. then don't be surprised when that wicked leader who you've elected sends your son off to die in a foreign battle that doesn't have anything to do with it. Right. If we say the draft overall is bad, then you would be speaking German today. Mm-hmm. 
because Winston yeah. Churchill was getting annihilated yes. in England, and he was begging Roosevelt to send troops. Yes. And, and had, it took England, a draft. Yes. Yeah. Had we not got involved in World War right. II, they would have crushed England, yes. and then they would have had a launching point between there and Pearl Harbor to just annihilate the United States. Mm-hmm. And so a draft is necessary, and the government has the right to do it. But we are a government of the people. And if we don't take serious the consequences of who we elect, we're going to see our kids going off and fighting in a stupid war, or we're going to see them going out under stupid generals getting wiped out in a war, whereas if we had proper leaders in place. And you can go back and look in World War II. Look at General Patton. He was politically hated. But he was feared on the battlefield. Right. right. So if we elect a bunch of politicians to run our military, we're going to end up with a bunch of, I don't know what to say in a Christian podcast, a bunch of pansies running the Air Force, you know, running the Air Force and the Army and the Navy and the Marines and the Coast Guard. They're all going to be ran by a bunch of sissies. Yeah. Instead of men whose living it is to kill other men for the safety of those that live in this country. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of guy you need. David was a man of war. He wasn't the man God chose to build the temple. Right, right. But without David, Israel would still be going over to uh, the Philistines and getting their their plow sharpened because they didn't have a blacksmith. Sure. Yeah, and I guess my thing is, is that to institute a draft and to be a part of it and to... Uh, enter into the military that way involuntarily is that you are in essence allowing the government to dictate what you think is a just war or not and um that's their prerogative yeah that's that's again it goes back to uh your voting and elections and how important getting do you like do you like being able to pick up your phone and call the police when you need them Yes. So then you're reaping the benefits of the government, but you don't want to pay for the government. Right, right. Well, not exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. You, you no. like having a government that can provide nice stuff. You just don't want to put yourself on the line. Well, again, going back to Vietnam. You draft dodger. We're yeah. fixing to end this podcast permanently. <laughs> again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. You know, I'm not really a draft dodger. But anyway, it, it does a lot. You ought to reconcile that and think about it and, you know, at least comes to the conclusion of why you believe what you believe. And you brought up some good points there for sure. Yeah. And I, I really, I, you know, my, I've got a son that's 20 and mm-hmm. uh, he's registered for selective service. And so he can very, I mean, it's a very good possibility. He can be called up and, yeah. and drafted. And I hate that. Yeah. I would rather have someone else as the commander in chief than who we have now. But you know, the guy I voted for didn't win. Yeah. And right. elections have consequences. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the losing side of one. Yes. And I hate it. Absolutely. Well, man, it has been a joy to to do an episode once again. It's been, like I said, it's been a while. We have to do it. We can't wait another two months before we record another one. Well, how long is it going to take you to get smart and get out of seminary? <laughs> a long time. And I'm, I'm pro-Grace Bible Theological Seminary. <laughs> I, I've never, only time I've been on a college campus was to watch a ball game. Yeah. But I highly, highly recommend, and I'm really excited for what's going on at Grace Bible, and uh, I'm glad you've elected to take part in that. Yeah, I should be through in about two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's eight, that's eight podcasts from now. <laughs> that's right. Because <laughs> we'll do about 40 years. We will have to do one a lot sooner than just two months apart. But I do want to say thank you to all who have listened to us. May the Lord bless you.